There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on June the 7th, 2010. Now the newcomers should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Bookmark all the other sites you'll see on that front page because sometimes there's problems with the com or the others. But one way or another you'll always have a site to download the latest shows from if you bookmark them for future use. While you're there, remember, you can go in to uh, articles for sale, the books, CDs, DVDs and purchase them because they're they're different from what you normally read. I show you the little tricks of the trade that are used down through the ages to the present time in language and how things are presented to you by symbolism and how really you're programmed by those who understand this. Mankind is very, very old indeed, far older than the nonsense that uh, Charles Darwin was spewing out. And the whole trick of managing whole populations for a tiny minority uh, is very, very old. They understand the sciences of managing the herd. And that's what we are. We have a planned society, a planned future. And if you look at all the institutions involved in future planning, it's astronomical. And they're all, of course, tax-free, exempt foundations and to charitable causes and so on. So we're, we're run by private organizations and we have the guise of democracy to implement the plans of these private organizations who all work together along the same path to manage the big herd, you see, and to ensure that they live very well off of us forever. Now, purchase the books and so on. That keeps me going. You can always use a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, just uh, send a personal check as cashed here in Canada. No problem at all. You can't accept personal checks from any other country to Canada but the U.S. is okay, because we're all one country now, really. And you can also use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. You can order through PayPal, go into the sites, uh, use the PayPal donation button, send the appropriate amount, and a separate email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, same thing for ordering. MoneyGram is good. Western Union is good. Cash is all okay, too. At the moment, uh, they still will, you know, cash uh, the devalued money of Europe, as Canada goes down too, because we're all in it together, mind you. It's all one big, happy, miserable family as we're down together. And uh, at the moment, they still cash them, so we, cash is okay. And PayPal for donations and for ordering is fine as well across the rest of the planet. You know, I've read so many articles recently on the university studies and the foundational studies to do with data overload. It's a process, it's an intentional process that comes out of having the Internet. And they're really so interested to see our habits, you see, are really taking to this addiction, this drug addiction of the Internet as we're supposed to. Um, are the big boys playing their parts by giving us intriguing information and, and titillating information as well. If you notice, there's more and more mainstream coming across the Internet all the time from the big regular newspapers and media outlets. 
with the same kind of stuff, the trashy stuff, you know, the bimbo stuff and, and the boob job stuff and, and the fear stuff of the Hollywood characters. And lots of uh, oohs and ahs about UFOs and all the stuff you've had in the rags for years. That's what they call the tabloid papers, the rags. And last week I talked about uh, a very good documentary done on it, uh, on the particular industry that gives you this information, which you think is real, how they cook up the data, how they stage events, how they even get protest movements and hire the protesters, anything for news. And that was Star Suckers, uh, I think it was BBC Four. Uh, see it before you, you, you soak up this trash you're getting. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the media overload we're given. And it doesn't matter which camp you want to put yourself into. I don't think it's a good idea putting yourself into camps anyway. They're generally set up for you. Uh, you're supplied with endless data and, and data overload and spins and so on. And there's all kinds of camps competing uh, to give out information and exposés about what's happening in the world and some of it's not bad, and some of it's got some good truth in it. There's always spins here and there, too, um, because that's how we're managed. We're managed. I've always said when you're awake, when you're truly awake into reality, it's like coming out a tunnel that's underground, and you're coming up to the surface, and you see the field, and then you want to get across that field to the trees. You just know that's your goal, to get into that forest. But you've got to get across the field, and there's all these signs pointing this way, and no, it's this way. We've got the answer, and, and, and you go all over the place and round in circles and over to Mars and back again and uh, all over the universe. And, and, of course, a lot of support gets stuck in certain areas for a while, sometimes forever, and they never go beyond that. It's hard for them to understand uh, that humans can plan the world and order it in such a way uh, through conniving and world meetings and big agendas, even though they're, they're all uh, published, it's published data on lots of these, these international organizations and their meetings and their agendas, even though it's out there and you know the players, it's still hard for people to imagine that people uh, can actually do this. So they go off into aliens and different things. And yet they never read their history or even ancient history or say, well, how come... Egyptians could rule such a vast empire for such an awful, awful long time in today's terms without losing control. Uh, it's because they understand, they understood at that time the sciences of the mind and how to control millions of peasants and keep them in utter ignorance, no education whatsoever except the indoctrination into their particular religion. And state of the world. It's, it's very similar to India. The, the Brahmins kept India in the same state for a couple of thousand years, quite easily too. And I often wondered really about Britain and India. Uh, who were they working for when you think about it? Because India was a lot of these little satrapies across well, of, of different tribes and different areas and caliphs and so on. And Britain really went in and had them all fighting each other until they came into unification. That's what generally comes out of 
causing skirmishes and dissent amongst different tribes. You stir them up, they fight each other, and then you walk in to give them peace, you see, to create peace, just like the UN's doing today. And, uh, and then they create one big empire. And the British taxpayers funded all the railroads that are still used there yet. And, and they gave them the system of, of control. Uh, and the Brahmins were still in charge. And still are today. Uh, it's a science behind it, controlling people. And the cunningness that we, we can't think of uh, comes naturally when you're born into families that discuss this kind of stuff at the dinner table as you grow up. You understand how the techniques are used. It's very simple. And even when we have big players coming out, belonging to international organizations, working for a planned society, people who are proponents for it, like Carl Quigley, who was all for the world society, a socialist society, which really means run by the capitalists on a socialist control basis, right down to population numbers and what you need and who should marry whom. The whole agenda that would go into Brave New World that uh, Huxley talked about. So uh, there's, there's no real differences between right and left whatsoever. They're all run by the same group at the top. And that's why the, the agenda rolls, steamrolls forward, regardless of the front man that's been put in. It's the people behind them who are more important because they generally have a history in academia and with published books with the agenda in their books where presidents and prime ministers generally say nothing at all. They're just picked to be the front. Now, Quigley talks about technocrats. Technocrats, he said, were people who worked behind the scenes, who were not elected by the public in any political capacity. He said they had more power, real power, than any politician or prime minister or president because they had the backing of the private banks. They had the backing of the big uh, institutions, the charitable multi-trillionaire institutions that really ran the NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And they got things done. And they didn't have to answer to the public. They didn't have to go through red tape to get things done. They just got it done. Just like over last week I was mentioning about all the, 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 or, the organizations for planned parenthood and so on, which really is abortion and sterilization, uh, Margaret Sanger founded it and said that children were weeds and the best thing you could do was kill them. That's in her own writings, by the way. I'm not, uh, you know, slandering her. So, and Obama, of course, has talked at Planned Parenthood. There's, there's videos up on YouTube with him giving lectures about it. He loved Kinsey, by the way. He thought Kinsey the pervert was a great guy. They all do, though, you see. That, because Kinsey was put out to destroy all of us and our society and our ability to bond to each other, which was your ability to defend yourselves. And live independently. If you destroy all that, everyone's dependent on the state. The state is big daddy, and daddy then gives you the agenda, including sterilization. And John Holdren, of course, etc., are all for that. But let's pick another guy, too, who's been so important in creating the whole world agenda. At least is part of it, I should say. And, and that was a little guy from Canada, who I think is related to the, the banking family in the States, too, Maurice Strong. And Maurice Strong gave us the Earth Charter on behalf of his mentors, the Rockefellers. Uh, he's been in and out of the top positions, even head of the, the World Bank at the United Nations. He has been over to China, working for a while on behalf of the United Nations, setting up the trade 
a system for China, US, Britain, and France, and Germany. His aunts, even, and relatives are buried in China because they were revolutionaries. They went across the world helping to bring in world communism, and they're buried next to the great Mao Zedong. So these, are, these characters go down intergenerationally through their families with their purposes, and they know what they're up to and, and what they're striving for. They're the real technocrats, incredible power. They brought them over to, to Ontario to, to privatize the entire of Ontario a public uh, electrical utility service. That was nuclear plants and everything. He closed some down and he said he would they'd never get them fixed. He also said, we're going into an age of austerity back in the early 90s. And he said, uh, eventually we'll have to put in big generators, you know, diesel types to run the essential businesses like governments and so on. Because he, he knew through the Earth Charter, he knew we were going down this path and they were going to take our energy from us and really make us pay. Well, here's an article here, and it's from the Financial Post, and it's about Maurice Strong. It says, the master of green socialism. Maurice Strong has been central to the or reformulating socialism's grand narrative in radical environmental terms. May 27th, 2010, by Peter Foster. There's nothing uh, that inspiring global governors... Now, this is a good term. This guy's giving you the right stuff here. He doesn't make it in bold, but he hopes you think. Aspiring global governors love so much as a recognition of their vast good intentions. And you are in the age of global governors and managers. Today, octogenarian citizen of the world, Maurice Strong, receives one of this year's Four Freedoms Awards established by the Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Institute and the Roosevelt Stichting in the Netherlands. The Four Freedoms are those relating to speech and religion and from want and fear and are at the roots of the United Nations Charter. Mr. Strong's award comes under the want category. The citation notes his modest role as the foremost guardian of the world's environment. So now you know who is in charge of your environment. Also, his commitment to social justice. Inconveniently, that lateral commitment has recently come to the attention of Fox News' Glenn Beck, who is not the first to notice that social justice actually means forced redistribution, which means socialism, which has created more want than any system devised by man. Mr. Strong has been central to reformulating socialism's grand narrative in radical environmental terms. He was a mastermind of the seminal UN environmental conferences at Stockholm in 1972 and Rio in 1992. And by the way, there's one coming up in 2012, I think I mentioned that. An article here. He's a key promoter of the subversive anti-market concepts of sustainable development and corporate social responsibility, meaning private, like private corporations run the world. He's a godfather of climate change hysteria, and that's true. Mr. Beck fingers Mr. Strong as part of a cabal, exotically dubbed Crime Inc., that wants to take down the global economy en route to taking global control. And he's right on, that's what it's all about. It's actually done. It's actually done. The whole takedown of the banking system, it took the collusion of the banks to do it. Because, of course, they're all in it, too. They're part of it. Mr. Strong has posted a brief article on his website, www.morrisstrong.net, in which he responds to misinformation, misinterpretation, and outright lying by my critics. He didn't see enemies. He says critics. I'm sure you want to see enemies. The only critic he mentioned is not Glenn Beck, but yours truly, that's the author of the article. And he said, 
Nor does he deal with the points raised by Mr. Beck, who on his TV show brought up an interview that Mr. Strong gave almost 20 years ago in which he opined on a novel that he was thinking of writing. It would involve a cabal of concerned citizens taking control of the globe. Mr. Beck noted that Mr. Strong had not found the time to write such a novel. Rather, he seemed to be living the plot himself. And he, he did, he gave an interview, Maurice Strong, about taking over the world. It was a novel that was rattling around in his, idea, in his head. He also mentioned the world bankers, but I'll be part of it, which of course they are. In his website, Defense, Mr. Strong cites a particularly dishonest statement by longtime critic Peter Foster, a description which I must admit gave me a warm glow. This statement was to his own editor, citing a fictional account which was clearly stated to be an extreme scenario of what might happen by the year 2030. Let's find out what he said when he comes back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Ward and we're cutting through the Matrix reading an article about Maurice Strong. And these people are so important because they don't get into the papers too often unless they're getting an award for some wonderful work of charity and so on across some place in the world. Uh, But really, they're such big movers and shakers. And the Earth Charter that really is to put us all into the depopulation agenda has already ran through in the 90s. Every country signed on to it. It was a private organization, drafted this up uh, for our own good, mind you, and they have a next one coming up shortly, too, in a, in a year or so. And uh, Murray Strong hopes to live long enough to attend that. I'm sure he will, because they do get life extension, these characters. I mean, even his mentor at 94, Rockefeller, is still going around the planet giving talks about depopulation. And there's his protege, uh, Maurice. Now, Maurice was picked up as a, a teenager by Rockefeller. This is the story. This is the sort of story they give you, the official one and uh, groomed by them and then put in charge of oil companies and shown how the world really worked, you know. I'm sure they really did show them how the world really worked too. And then set him to work as the great uh, charitable character who was so concerned about world affairs and, and the need to depopulate very quickly and to get rid of the inferior types and who should breed and who should not. That's all, in, that's all part of it. Then they all the world to sign on their Earth Charter where we were debased to below the levels of insects because even they have rights and we don't. And, of course, the Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century United Nations. Big cabal runs this world, all working together in different areas, but they're all a pyramid structure taking orders from the top. But this guy, this guy goes on to say, this writer here, he says, he was accused of dishonesty by Strong. So my dishonesty apparently consisted in quote, uh, quoting Mr. Strong verbatim from his autobiography called Where on Earth Are We Going? My main point was not his ghastly and ridiculous scenario, but his clearly stated opinion that the possibility of billions of people being wiped out by eco-apocalypse represented a glimmer of hope for civilization. Where my editor came in, I wrote, was that he didn't believe that anybody could write such a thing, but it's right there on page 22 of Maury Strong's own writing. For the record, here's a reference which takes the form of a report. This is the fictional report in his novel, you see. Actually, I think it's more realistic, to be honest with you. Uh, And it says, a report to shareholders of Earth, Inc. This is Maury Strong, because he does work for Earth, Inc., you see. This is 1st of January 2031, report to the shareholders, Earth, Inc. Some areas of our planet have been almost entirely depopulated. 
more people are dying and dying younger. Birth rates have dropped sharply, while infant mortality increases. At the end of the decade, the best guesstimate of total world population is some 4.5 billion, fewer than at the beginning of the twin of the century. And experts have predicted that the reduction of the human population may well continue to the point that those who survive may not number more than 1.61 billion people who inhabited Earth at the beginning of the 20th century. A consequence, yes, of death and destruction. But in the end, a glimmer of hope for the future of our species hmm. and its potential for regeneration. Interesting, eh? This guy's got so much power. And we've all signed treaties that he's helped to draft up, giving all our rights away, rights over ourselves and our own reproduction, by the way, and our future and your food supply. And that's, he's telling you what their agenda is right here. It says, like Lewis Carroll's Humpty Dumpty Mr. Strong seems to believe that words should mean whatever he wants them to mean. That's why he's criticized about it, you see. Orwell pointed out that the totalitarian instinct for obfuscation naturally seeks to reverse meaning. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. And his self-exoneration, Mr. Strong seeks to squirm around his own frequent assertions that he is a socialist. What he really believes in is responsible capitalism. That means, you know, total control of everybody's lives. He writes that... uh, he writes that his call for a modifications of ballot box democracy has been woefully misconstrued. Not. In fact, Mr. Strong has for decades masterminded a strategy to outflank democracy both from above via the UN organizations, they're all private by the way, and from below through the well-funded radical non-governmental organizations that are sold as the voice of civil society. When Mr. Strong averts that he wants more, not less democracy, what he means is more control by non-governmental organizations, which they run, of course, from their foundations. In a recent article, he wrote that since governments might not like his proposals for a new economic paradigm, then political priority had to be given to the organizations and people participating in this dialogue. That is, the kind of organizations he allowed into Rio to browbeat the delegates. And so it goes on and on and on. But you see, these people are out there. They've been out there for an awful, awful long time. And before Strong, they had other ones out there. Because there have been people working for centuries on this agenda to bring in the controlled society. You know, though, to make sure that everyone lives the way that they should live, according to those who are the control freaks above them. That's what it's all about. The planned society. And even if you read the exchange of letters between Huxley and Orwell, uh, they both knew, because they knew a lot of these elitists in their own day, and they, they knew a real history which is uh, omitted from the school books uh, that we're taught with, you see. Uh, they knew the real history because they, they, they came from the upper elite, and they mixed with the people who sat and talked about these things at their dinner tables. And they discussed, would it be a totalitarian um, regime, dictator style to start with, or would it be more along the way of Brave New World? And what you've got is both for this particular time back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. Now after reading that article about Maurice Strong and his plans for massive depopulation and uh, starvation and everything would come into play to bring down uh, to the magic number the population that he wanted with his other masters, of course. And they'd rule the planet in a scientifically proper way from cradle to grave. Well, they've already done a lot of it already, you see. They had to destroy the family unit. That was, been a, that was a prime mandate a long time ago. That's why you got the, the, the 60s and the swinging 60s, as they called it, and the drugs and uh, the so-called sexual revolution. And you have to go into the predecessors as strong to find out that they were writing about that and trying to get it off the ground in the late 1800s, like H.G. Wells, one of some of the first books he wrote. Uh, in novels he wrote on behalf of his masters was to all to promote uh, sexual um, freedoms and uh, free love, he called it, in the late 1800s. Recycled it in the 1920s, the roaring 20s, and then they brought it back in the 60s with better drugs and uh, television to help them out and music and the big media industry that was all controlled by the same people. You see, still is. But they've been very successful. Everything's been turned upside down. Everybody's viewpoints are altered. I just watched a, a, a good video on uh, the Kinsey, Kinsey Institute, of course. Kinsey was a sexual pervert himself. Uh, all these statistics and, and studies were fudged. He used uh, deviants to do the tests themselves. Uh, he was into little boys himself. He preferred them. He also had sex with uh, the guys that worked with him. He, he brought them all together and says we should all use two sex with each other. This is all on record, by the way. And out of that came uh, Hefner. Hefner was a devotee working, I'm sure, in, in league with these guys, all coming out at the same time to give you Playboy and so on, and to literally weaponize natural tendencies until they became obsessions. And that tied in, too, with the sexual education to younger and younger children to have even had taught people saying we should teach them to masturbate in school at the age of six and seven. And I've read the articles from the UN uh, last year from, from this. So this goes on and on and on. And you think, you think that society is just getting more open and yada, yada, yada. And there's so much crime and so on, but that's got nothing to do with all the things I've just been discussing. It's all tied in together. Now, remember the last article, Maurice Strong, depopulation, uh, people dying off through starvation, sterility, all that stuff. You've got John Holdren and his science are, and a whole bunch of them appointed behind Obama because Obama's just a front man. And uh, this is a continuation of the agenda. Now, here's a good article here to show you how they're continuing the agenda. We've had the articles recently about suicide. Uh, the death clinic in Switzerland that's had a lot of exposure was found to be dumping the urns. They take money for it, of course, after they cremate the people, dumping the urns in a lake. Uh, divers found hundreds of them uh, when they told them they were disposing of them in a proper fashion. They're just getting some employee to come out with a rowboat and dump them all. But anyway, they're now going into uh, killing people who have nothing wrong with them physically. They've just got a bit of depression, etc., and they're willing to pay to be bumped off hygienically. Hitler would be, he'd love that hygienic, you know, hygienic cleansing. It's all here, but it's authorized, you see, from the top under different guys to help people who are kind of miserable, you see. So that also came through in the talks that, that uh, were given at Berkeley by Aldous Huxley when he talked. He says, most people you know, he says, most people are, they're rather unhappy. He didn't say unhappy. Those guys got a strange language. He said, unhappy, you see. 
and you know they, they're not really pleased with life and it's, it's not too good to them well for most folk down below him you see it was a pretty miserable existence going through war after war and created depressions and getting stuffed together in city uh, factory towns uh, as you were thrown off the lands uh, it doesn't make you terribly joyful but anyway uh, that was all part of the plan as well here's an article here uh, to, to, to again bolster that idea, to get you all talking about it and thinking about it. And I'm sure it'll be on talk shows and operas and all that kind of stuff to make sure you get the message. Should this be the last generation? And it's from New York Times. This is an intentional article, you see, to, to stir up the, contra- the controversy. Have you ever thought about whether to have a child? Have you thought about that? If so, what factor has entered into your decision? Was it whether having children would be good for you, your partner, and others close to the possible child, such as children you may already have, or perhaps your parents? For most people, contemplating reproduction, these are the dominant questions. Some may also think about the desirability of adding to the strain that the nearly 7 billion people already here are putting on our planet's environment. But very few ask whether coming into existence is a good thing for the child itself. Most of those who consider that question probably do so because there's some reason to fear that the child's life would be especially difficult. For example, if they have a family history of a devastating illness. Now, the one I remember going to the temple, saying who breeds and who doesn't, you know, it's quite, this is your little psychological article that's churned out by the pros at the top. Physical or mental that cannot yet be detected prenatally. All this suggests that we think it is wrong to bring into the world a child whose prospects for a happy, healthy life are poor. But we don't usually think the fact that a child is likely to have a happy, healthy life is a reason for bringing the child into existence. This has come to be known amongst philosophers as the asymmetry, and it's not easy to justify. But rather than go into the explanations usually proffered why they fail, I want to raise a related problem. How good does life have to be to make it a reasonable to bring a child into the world? Is the standard of life experienced by most people in developed nations today good enough to make this decision unproblematic in the absence of specific knowledge that the child will have a severe genetic disease or other problems? That's a reinforcement. They always do a reinforcement when you're trying to get key things into your brain, you see. The 19th century German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer held that even the best life possible for humans is one in which we strive for ends that once achieved bring only fleeting satisfaction. Well, maybe that's how Schopenhauer uh, felt it himself, but it doesn't mean we all feel it the same way, so why even quote him? New desires then lead us on to further futile struggle, and the cycle repeats itself. So life, you see, sucks. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Life really sucks, and uh, and most people are unhappy, unhappy, as Mr. Huxley would have said. And really, they're telling you not to have children, especially ones who might, might, mind you, and might not um, have genetic problems, you see. And there's lots of these articles getting churned out there. And you know where they come from, a lot of them? A lot of them are given, uh, and you see this again in Star Suckers, the, the, the documentary on how the media manipulates your whole existence <laughs> and your reality. Uh, they show you uh, that the public relations companies, the big marketing companies that, that work on behalf of guys like Maurice Strong's organizations and so on, give out handouts to the media who simply put it in verbatim and put another uh, journalist's name on it. Because the journalists today don't go out and look for stories. And they're overworked. 
because they cut back lots of them years ago and they don't do investigative research and they're so happy to dump these things right in your newspapers to get. And of course, it's all to manipulate your mind. So big marketing companies are in charge and they're the, they're the experts at mind manipulation. They're in charge of giving you what you think are the topics you're going to prattle on about. And they're embedded with little things that go into your mind, little particular uh, weaponized quotes and so on, that's meant to stick there. And, and you will come to opinions thinking they're yours. And you'll have little chats about it. Remember what, what Brzezinski said in Between Two Ages, his book, that shortly the public will be unable to think or reason for themselves. They'll only be able to repeat what they get from the mainstream media the day before. And they'll chat about it the next day amongst themselves. That's been going on all my life. So this stuff is put out for you to, it's weaponized. The media is weaponized. It always has been weaponized. And experts put it together using particular terms, ways of streaming things together, even the thought streaming. So you'll follow that stream and bingo, it's implanted, embedded in your brain. And it becomes your opinion. And you don't, you don't know why. You couldn't even discuss why you came to the, You just take them and run with them. And you'll even get hostile and defend them if someone questions you. And the world goes on as always. You know, left wing, right wing. Remember on the, on the, the left wing and right wing paradigm, you've always got uh, hiding the body, the bird, a shield. You see? What do you think the shield's there for? Because it's the body. The body that runs the show. And it's always hidden behind the shield. Con games, left and right, left and right. The paradigm. The, the dialectic. And as I said before, we vote the, the people out of office because we're so sick of them. And, and you bring in the guy that's promised you the newest hope, you see. And he goes on like the previous one. No wonder, because it's the same bunch behind them, you see. I'm talking about Obama, for instance. The same bunch. The same in Britain as well. Same in, same in Britain. Here's an article here on the U.S. secret wars expanding globally as special operations forces take the larger role. Okay. And it says, uh, by Karen DeYoung and Greg Jaffe, Washington Post staff writer, beneath its commitment to sell soft-spoken diplomacy and beyond the combat zones of Afghanistan and Iraq, the Obama administration has significantly expanded a largely secret U.S. war against al-Qaeda and other radical groups. Now, the, the important part is other radical groups. I mean, what do they do? Who defines what's radical? You ever wondered about that? According to senior military and administration officials, special operations forces have grown both in number and budget and are deployed in 75 countries. 75 countries. Compared with about 60 at the beginning of last year. In addition to units that have spent years in the Philippines and Colombia, teams are operating in Yemen and elsewhere in the Middle East. Africa, and Central Asia. Commanders are developing plans for increasing the use of such forces in Somalia, where a special operations raid last year killed the alleged head of Al-Qaeda in East Africa. They've killed these guys about ten times over. Those give us the same leaders killed again. Same with their drone attacks, you know. Plans exist for preemptive or retaliatory strikes in numerous places around the world meant to put into action uh, when a plot has been identified or after an attack linked to a special group. The surge in special operations deployments, along with intensified CIA drone attacks in western Pakistan, as the other side of the national security doctrine of global engagement and domestic values. President Obama released last week. 
One advantage of using secret forces for such missions is that they rarely discuss their operations in public. <laughs> no kidding. I, I, I like the intellects that write these. For a democratic president such as Obama, who was criticized from either side of the political spectrum for too much or too little aggression, then acknowledged CIA drone attacks in Pakistan, along with unilateral U.S. raids in Somalia and joint operations in Yemen, provide politically useful tools. Well, that's what the U.S. is. It's a politically, it's a politically useful tool. That, that's what the whole function of the U.S. is, you know, a politically useful tool. And once it's finished, it'll be wrung out like a sponge, all torn and shredded, and nothing to wring out anymore, and then it's dumped in the garbage. And I'm not kidding about that. I'm not kidding about that. Obama, one senior military official, said, has allowed things that the previous administration did not. Yeah. Change is good, eh? Change is good. Yet we're going to have more battles, more wars, more, more special forces doing assassinations across the planet. They should really say more is good, isn't it? More is good. Because that's really what we're talking about here. More is definitely good, according to them. They're always, you know, the U.S. is fantastic, and Britain was all, you know, the people who fought in wars were awful good for fighting other people's wars for them, but they'll never stand up for themselves. Have you ever wondered about that, too? They can get soaked and screwed for taxis after taxis, lose their houses, and still supply taxis for the military for other people's ends. But they'll never stand up at home and say enough is enough. And they lose their houses and everything else, and their whole society is completely as dysfunctional as they are destroyed from within. And they'll go off yet and fight other people's battles and pay for it as well. Very useful. Special. I tell you that they're very special in that way. See, Britain's already kaput, it's finished. No, none of these countries could ever pay off any kind of debt that they have. None of it. None of it. They could never pay it off. Unless they tore it up, which of course would be the logical thing to do. But of course they won't do that because they're, 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 they're run. They're run by the ones who run the money. That's as simple as that. Getting back to the, the cut down the children stuff and all the rest of it, it's an article here from Sky News about Britain's unofficial one-child policy. I should also mention that, that Britain, Canada and Australia are teaching teachers in these packages that they get, these tool packages, you know, special tools, toolkits they call them, that uh, to be on the lookout for abuse in children. And they've said that uh, large families uh, are prone to, more prone to abuse. That's what they've come to the conclusion, you see, because they really don't like those with large families. And anyone with two children, over two children, is considered a large family. Actually, two is getting there already, according to them. In Australia, they've already put in the policies to, I don't know if they've actually done it yet, to start to tax the people extra for their carbon output for that child. And it's burden on society. As, of course, they open the floodgates even wider and wider for immigration. <laughs> the same con's been pulled everywhere, hasn't it? So this article here, as I say, the Sky News, and it says... Um, Yvette Garson wanted to take her children for a swim, but pool attendants in Bolton insisted that Ryan and Jordana, aged five and two respectively, each had to be accompanied by an adult. If only Ms. Ms. Garside, a lone parent, of course, because that's what Britain's comprised of, had brought along an, an only child. 
The nanny state has rehabilitated single mothers like her and is now bent on engineering the same outcome for single children. It will amount to a remarkable turnaround. In 1896, Stanley Hall, founder of the American Journal of Psychology, concluded that being an only child is a disease in itself. See, they're already working on this back then. You've got to understand this. You've got to understand this has been going on for an awful long This whole agenda and the world agenda and the geopolitical agenda has just has been the same for all over a hundred years. Since then, scores of academic studies have reinforced the cruel stereotype of singletons, like that, singletons, as spoiled misfits deprived of siblings and the soft skills which often abrasively they impart empathy, conflict resolution, and gratification deferment, to name but three. So it's getting very psychological here. But demography means that such evidence has been trumped by experience. On current trends, one-child families will be Britain's dominant family unit by 2020. It already is. And the relative abundance of only child, of one only child has created a demand for reassurance from their parents. Apologists have been quick to respond. So they go on to all this whole, the whole thing about single parent families and that's the way of the future and how the state really is now the daddy and supplies all the rules and regulations and the funding uh, and so on and so on and so on. Really, that's what it's all about. But that's the way of the world now, isn't it? And there's lots and lots of these articles. All to reinforce the, the new normalcy, as even with the new normalcy, they're altering it into the next normalcy. I'll be back with more after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and talking about talking about the big agenda and how things follow on. It, it really, part one, part two, part three, part, all going along in a, in a planned direction. They can read about in the late 1800s by guys like H.G. Wells, who were prattling on about this back then. Pretty well the same stuff as Maurice Strong and the destruction of society the dissolution of the family unit, and so on. And it confuses folk. They think of Karl Marx. Well, isn't that what the communists want? And yet, Well, it's all the same thing, folks. The capitalists run both sides. Of course they do. They want an ordered society. They want to be in control forever with their own families. And the planned society, the planned world society. And that article I read there, too, about... Um, is, is life really worth living? And should you really bring a child in? And it's how our fault because we swallow all the advertising and stuff and the happy stuff where it's all pushed to us. It's our fault for doing so. That's the new spin, by the way, on everything. It's your fault. You know, the baby boomers were the ones that got us into debt with their greed. That's what it was, all that, all that personal spending and stuff. It has nothing to do with the bankers or the agenda or, or marketing or Bernays. Or anything. No, no. So now that you've got to suffer, they've got to cut your pensions and everything. It's your, your fault that you did all that, you know? Yeah. You, you had all the wars and all that stuff. Yeah. Here's an article here. Cameron, years of pain ahead. That's the, that's the new, uh, prime minister in Britain. 
uh, who, who's quite a joker too. I mean, you, you got to see the stuff up on YouTube and who he's promised uh, his allegiance to and all the rest of it to get money, that is, to get to run. And, and we're all seeing it happening today. It's old stuff. Sunday Times, June 6, 2010. It says, David Cameron has warned that the economy is in far worse state than previously thought and signaled that Britain faces years of pain as the spending acts falls. It was all your fault, folks. Yeah. It was all, all your fault. Nothing to do with these creeps in government with their social agendas, bringing society down till, till, till they're destroyed and then reformulating it. Nothing to do with the Maurice Strongs who say, oh yeah, famine and plague and, and disease will kill them off, but this, our species will go on. Nothing to do with any of that, of course. It's just, it just happens to be unfolding this way at this present time through pure coincidence for those that love and coincidence theories. Yeah, that's all. So it's your fault, you see. Uh, and so you've got, you've got years of pain as the spending acts falls. I th- see, the UK has had years of pain as far as I can remember. Because, you see, they were used for well over 150 years to fight the wars across the planet for a small clique at the top who ended up dominating it. And they were wrung dry, and they're still wrung dry. They're still paying off the debt from World War Two. They said they only paid off the debt from World War One in the late 1990s. And of course, you'll never pay it all off. It's, it was compound. It's not meant to be paid off. The masters of money run the world with compound interest and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's all your fault. It's all your fault, you see. So you're going to suffer now for years and years as the spending acts falls and they're cutting billions off the health service, which they gave you in the first place and made sure there was no alternative system to use. You know, which had lots and lots and lots of dough. But that falls right in with the depopulation, isn't it? That's what rationing you bring in yet, too. We're talking about rationing across the world. Right on cue with the UN Department of Agriculture, who said they'd eventually distribute the whole world's food supply to certain regions, and you better bring down your populations because they would not increase your rations. Yeah, it's all coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. From Hamish myself to Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and your God or your gods go with you.